Beloveds, welcome back to The Word is Resistance, the podcast where we're exploring what our Christian sacred texts have to teach us about living, surviving, even thriving in the context of empire, tyranny, violence, and repression, the times in which we are living today. What do our sacred stories have to teach us as white folks about our role in resistance, in showing up, and in liberation? We are building up a new world. This version of Dr. Harding's song for the Freedom Movement is a live recording of a group called No Enemies, a multiracial group of activists and musicians here in Denver, Colorado, who come together for movement choir practice to bring singing back into direct actions and other movement spaces. This particular choir practice is from December 2014, being led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are deeply grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use the song for this podcast. I'm Reverend Ann Dunlap, back with you again today. I'm a UCC pastor in the place currently called Denver, Colorado, here on Cheyenne and Arapaho land, and the faith coordinator for Showing Up for Racial Justice, or SURGE, nationally. This podcast is a project of SURGE faith and is particularly designed for white people, white people talking to other white people about race and white supremacy. We believe white people like us, like me, have a responsibility to commit ourselves to resisting white supremacy, to speaking up and showing up and disrupting white supremacy wherever we find it, including in our own Christian tradition. We'd love to hear from you, and especially from folks of color, about how we're doing. The word is resistance. Today I was writing this sitting in the cafe at the Denver Botanic Gardens. The gardens are a favorite place of mine, an oasis of green and beauty in the middle of the city. We have our favorite spots to hang out, and I always stop to visit my favorite herbs when I'm there. I met some of my dearest herb friends for the first time here, when I was first studying to become an herbalist. Comfrey, Hawthorne, Lady's Mantle, Hyssop in particular. I learned from watching them through the seasons how they grow, what their cycles are, what happens to them in winter. Winter is actually my favorite time to come, when everything is bare and resting, and there aren't 11 million people coming and going everywhere. But even in summer, like now, it's a respite, an oasis, a place where there's green and shade and water and a cafe with air conditioning where I can do some work after going to say hi to everyone. Do you have a place like that? A respite place? A place by yourself? A place to breathe deep to remember who you are? A place to come away and rest a while? Before we go on, take a moment to bring that place to mind. Let the restfulness of it fill you up, connecting you to the ground beneath you and the sky above you. Come away and rest a while. I'm staying with Mark's gospel this week, picking up the story where we'd left Jesus and his crew a couple of weeks ago. 
Then Jesus had been back home and been unwelcomed. Then he brings together his crew and sends them out to do the work he'd been training them to do, telling them if they are unwelcome, to shake off the dust from their feet and keep moving. In between that and this week's text, Mark interrupts Jesus' narrative to tell about Herod having John the Baptist executed, which Will Green talked about in our last podcast. I'm revisiting this timeline just to remind us where we are in Mark's story. Mark's story that moves so quickly, coming and going, coming and going across the Sea of Galilee, coming and going, healing, teaching, organizing, coming and going, coming and going, coming and going. Today's text picks up right where we left Jesus two Sundays ago. He had sent out his crew to heal and teach and organize, and now they're back. And we read, The ones who Jesus had sent gathered around him and told him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, Come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a deserted place by themselves. Coming and going, coming and going, no time even to eat. Anybody know anything about that? Yeah, I do too. Especially right now where it seems like every minute there is some new dismaying atrocity to respond to. Something that breaks our hearts, enrages our voices. We are coming and going with marching and chanting, preaching and singing, writing and calling, blockading and banner dropping, weeping and aching. And all of that is important. All of it is. Everything we are trying, every way we are resisting, every protest and attempt to move further down the path to freedom, every time we're courageous, every time we try to heal in deep transformative ways, it's all important. Jesus knows this. It's what he's been doing in Mark. Coming and going, teaching and healing and organizing, knowing clearly what the stakes are. John the Baptist has been executed, and Herod thinks Jesus is just like John. And the community telling these stories that become Mark's gospel a generation later knew, with Rome breathing hot down their necks, destroying Jerusalem and carrying Jews into enslavement and exile. Every minute, some new dismaying atrocity to respond to. And Jesus responds, And he sends his people out to respond. They know the urgency. They know the stakes. And now they're back, ready to tell Jesus everything they had done. And Jesus says, come away and rest a while. And they do. They get on a boat to go to a deserted place by themselves, a respite, a place away to remember who they are. It's not like the world stopped around them, though. The need was constant. People followed them on foot, and Jesus has compassion on them. And with the lectionary editors leave out for whatever reason, Jesus feeds the who knows how many people, and they get back on the boat. More coming and going, walking on water, back on the boat, and we come to the last verses of today's text. So many people following them around, bringing people for healing wherever they could find him, hurrying to him, rushing to him. Coming and going. The world doesn't stop with the coming and going.
Our story today says, The ones who he had sent gathered around Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, Come away. Come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a deserted place by themselves. There are a couple of significant things here I don't want us to miss. I think this scene is telling us more than, hey, be sure to take some time off, though surely it is telling us that. First, I notice that Jesus doesn't say, hey, each individual person, go off by your individual self alone and rest. No, he calls them together, and they go off in the boat together. Believe me, as an introvert, I am also going to go off by myself as much as possible. But that's not what is happening here. This is a collective call to rest. We often talk about self-care. How do I take care of myself? And that's okay, that's necessary. Jesus also goes off by himself in Mark's Gospel. But if that's all we're talking about, that becomes a highly individualized approach that actually reinforces the individualism and isolation of white supremacy culture. We're missing the boat, as it were. Because here, it's collective. They have done the work together. They get on the boat together. They come away and rest together. How are we finding ways to collectively care for one another in this work? How are we building that into the how and why of our movement spaces, our gathering and ritual spaces, our necessary and vital coming and going? This is a collective call to rest. The second thing I'm noticing is that when Jesus' crew shows back up, they tell him all about what they had done, all they had done and taught. And I know Mark moves fast, but do you notice that Jesus doesn't actually respond to any of that? He doesn't congratulate them, and he doesn't ask them anything. He doesn't ask them, say, for numbers. How many healings? How many workshops? How many villages visited? No quantifiable data to send to funders to prove the worth of their work. Nope. Not a word. They tell him everything they had done, and he says, Y'all come away for a while and rest. I wonder why. I wonder what was going through Jesus' mind, what he was seeing and observing, that leads him to skip the evaluation and go right to rest and retreat. At least that's how the story's told. This weekend we went to see the new documentary about Mr. Rogers. I grew up on Mr. Rogers. 
There's an old black and white photograph of me as a very little kid, maybe three or four or five, kissing the TV while he is on screen. I'm 48 now, so we go way back. I watched it probably until I was in junior high. I still remember the songs and bits and pieces of the episodes, especially the one where Margaret Mitchell came on to talk about playing the Wicked Witch of the West because she scared me to death at that age. Anyway, I remember too the gentle and kind tone of everything. The silliness too. Oh, and Daniel Striped Tiger. He's so me. Basically, basically I cried all the way through the documentary. That's what you need to know. So go see it. Anyway, anyway. Mr. Rogers had a very clear commitment to letting children know they were loved, no matter what. That they were special. That their feelings mattered, no matter what. There is a part of the documentary where they show politicians and TV personalities and a bunch of headlines talking about how the self-entitlement of younger generations, so I guess like including me at this point, is the the fault of Mr. Rogers. The self-entitlement of younger generations is the fault of Mr. Rogers. Going so far as to call him evil for wanting to teach children that they were special. The most infamous of these articles says, and I quote, being special comes from working hard and having high expectations for yourself. So let me tell you something. That right there is some white supremacist, capitalist, ableist bullshit. Who does it serve? Who does it serve to have us believing that we are only special if we work hard and have high expectations of ourselves? Who does it benefit to believe this? That our worth is dependent only on what we can produce and how hard we push ourselves to produce it? What if we're sick? What if we're working three jobs and still can't afford a decent place to live? What if our brains respond better to hands-on learning than to lectures? What if your work is invisible to the system because it's in the home and considered women's work? Who does it serve? Who does it benefit? I know too many people, including myself, who work so hard and are so hard on ourselves when we don't produce like the system says produce. It's harmful to our well-being. And it is not how we are meant to live. The documentary has several people affirming Mr. Rogers' deeply held belief rooted in his understanding of Christian tradition, that we have worth as human beings because we exist, not for anything we do or achieve. That theological claim was not invented by Jesus, by the way, or by Paul for that matter. It goes all the way back to the creation stories and runs as a bright thread through the ancient Jewish stories and into the Judaism of of Jesus and Paul's community. That we have worth simply for being, simply for being created and called good. That's it. We don't have to do or achieve anything We don't have to work hard as defined by the white supremacist, capitalist, ableist, heteropatriarchy. That's a lot of big words. 
the system. We don't have to work hard as defined by this system, this oppressive system. Honestly, I have the hardest time remembering this. I do. Maybe that's why this story from Mark is so striking to me. Because I would expect, and maybe you would too, that after the crew of healers and teachers comes back and shares about all their hard work and all they did, that Jesus would at least say, Good job! Look at all you did! But he doesn't. We don't really know why, but I'm left wondering. Did Jesus want them to remember who they were? To remind them that he loved them no matter how many people they healed, how many workshops they gave, no matter how many towns they hit up on their speaking tour, that it was enough to just be? Come away and rest for a while. The coming and going does not stop. The collective call to rest doesn't deny this. These few verses are slipped in in the midst of immense amounts of coming and going, coming and going. It's almost overwhelming in Mark's gospel how quickly things move and the masses of people following Jesus and his willingness to engage them as much as he can. But if we're doing the work in the hopes of proving our worth, then let's get in the boat with Jesus. We can't produce our way to liberation. Come away for a while and rest. In Emergent Strategy, Adrienne Marie Brown says this in the chapter on interdependence and decentralization. Do you already know that your existence, who and how you are, is in and of itself a contribution to the people and place around you? Not after or because you do some particular thing, but simply the miracle of your life. And that the people around you and the places have contributions as well? Do you understand that your quality of life and your survival are tied to how authentic and generous the connections are between you and the people and place you live with and in? Are you actively practicing generosity and vulnerability in order to make the connections between you and others clear, open, available, durable? Generosity here means giving of what you have without strings or expectations attached. Vulnerability means showing your needs. The action I want to offer you this week is to get in the boat with Jesus. And yes, with a crew of your comrades, even better. It's a collective call after all. So get in that boat and think about those questions Adrienne Marie Brown has for us. Talk them over. How will you practice knowing the worth of your existence? How will you do that collectively? 
remember that rooting our worth here in this ground is a way of resisting white supremacy that wants us to think our only value is as producers in a capitalist machine. To close today, I offer you these words that Lady Aberlin sings to Daniel Striped Tiger when he's feeling particularly unworthy. I'll put the link to the full song in the transcript. It's incredibly sweet and tender. Hear these words. I think you are just fine as you are. I really must tell you I do like the person that you are becoming when you are sleeping when you are waking, you are my friend. Thanks as always for joining me today. Let us know how your action goes. We'd love to hear from you all by commenting on our SoundCloud or Facebook pages. We'll be back next week with John Bergen. You can find out more about Surge at showingupforracialjustice.org and our podcast lives at SoundCloud. Search on The Word is Resistance. You can interact with us there if you have questions or need help with action ideas. Transcripts are available as well on our website, which include references, credits, and copyright information. Finally, huge thanks to our sound editor this week, Maxwell Pearl. You're the best. As always, blessings to you in all that you do to resist injustice and in all that you do to build up a new world. Love and liberation, beloveds. Love and liberation. Until next time, I'm Reverend Ann Dunlap. Thanks so much.